morning, we are continuing from Easter, but also starting a series based on the gem's theme, that love overflows. So I think it's wonderful that both the prayer for illumination as we open God's word and God's word itself is to be read by our gems. So I invite both all three, Paige, Amber, and Jamie to come forward. And Paige is gonna lead us in the prayer for illumination and then Jamie and Amber will be reading God's word. And we are gonna be starting 1 Thessalonians. Oh, you may go up, it's okay. You can totally stand there. It feels good, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, okay. <laughs> 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we're going to start at verse 9, just so you know, before we go into the prayer. Verse 9 through 13. Lord God, thank you for giving us the Bible. Thank you that through reading it, we can learn more about you and learn to love you more. Send your spirit to help us understand your word and to help us grow. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, Paige. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting at verse 9. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy you have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus, clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, girls. We've had a lot of good leadership from our gens. Can we give them a round of applause and thank them for their involvement? Also, as I was sharing in the multi-purpose room before coming in, I love seeing you guys behind the pulpit. I think it's wonderful. And they use stools, and I'm kind of tempted to use it myself. I'm not going to use a stool because I'm more scared of falling off the stool than using it, so you can see me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And we're going to be focusing on the gems theme verse, which is verse 12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. 1 Thessalonians is the Apostle Paul writing to a congregation that he loves because his love overflows for them. He's modeling what love should look like. And this is a congregation in Thessalonica that Paul started earlier in his ministry. In fact, this first letter of Thessalonians, which we, we don't too often go into, not as often as we read Romans or Colossians or Ephesians, but 1 Thessalonians is most likely the earliest of Paul's letters that we have in our New Testament. And it's, and it's a love letter. It's a love letter between a pastor and his church, a church that he started. And so while it doesn't quite have the heft of Romans, the theological density of that letter, 
or even the very like beautiful poetry and lyrical poems of Colossians, there's, there's a simplicity here, a, a focus in 1 Thessalonians. That general, essential command to love one another. And, and Paul's letter is not just a love letter, it is a concerned love letter because Paul is worried about this congregation that he loves. They're being oppressed, they're meeting resistance in their, by their neighbors and their communities and their cities for their faith, and they're getting crushed a little bit. And, and Paul wants desperately to go to them, to encourage them, to be there with them, to pastor them, but he's, he's kept from them by a multitude of other things, by his own persecution, um, and he even says the works of Satan. And so he sends Timothy. He sends Timothy to this first church of Thessalonica. And what does he send Timothy to do? Earlier in the chapter, outside of the portion that the girls read, he, he sends Timothy to check in on them, to see how they're doing. And to see how they're doing in two key areas, in their faith and in their love. So Paul sends them to encourage them to, to strengthen parts of their faith that are lacking, but also to see how they're loving each other. So it's not only what they believe that Paul is concerned about, that the persecution is, is eroding their trust in the gospel, he also wants to look at how they love each other in their own community. It's not just about even how they take care of each other, it's also how they take care of those beyond their community, how it spills out to everyone else, as Paul's prayer says. Which is an incredibly different gauge for church growth and health, right? To have someone check in on your church and say, well, <clears throat> okay, yep, doctrines, confessions, you got that, but tell me how you're loving. Tell me how you love one another. Show me what that looks like. And whatever Timothy sees in Thessalonica, whatever he, he witnesses, he brings back and he reports back to Paul saying, they're doing it. Their faith is strong and they're loving each other well. And Paul's so overjoyed to hear this report from Timothy that this is where we get into where we jump in in chapter three. That, that Paul's just overjoyed. Later in chapter four, he writes that now about your love for one another, we don't need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God how to love each other. Timothy's report is so glowing that Paul doesn't think he has anything else to teach them about how to love one another. Which is, I mean, if, in terms of a report card for a congregation, I gotta say that one's pretty good. The Apostle Paul can find a lot of things to nitpick and to teach about, and he's telling them, you love so well, you've been taught by God. I have nothing else to write to you. But then, because he's Paul, he ends that little section saying, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do that more and more. <laughs> so yes, you're loving wonderfully, I have nothing else to say to you, but keep doing what you're doing. Do that more and more, love each other as you're doing, but do it more and more. And then because Paul is a pastor, and pastors like to pray, he turns that encouragement into a prayer. And that's where we get, may, your, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. This is the prayer that our gems have been traveling with all of this year. 
This is what they've been learning about over the course of the past year. What does it mean? What does, what does Paul's prayer mean? What does it look like in our lives? And week in and week out, they have been, along with their leaders and their counselors, unpacking that and working through that and living into that and praying that prayer. So Paul's prayer here in Thessalonians has become the gems prayer, where they have asked for a full year, Lord, increase our love and make it overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as yours does for us. But as the great eight gems asked in the children's message, what does that love look like? If that prayer is answered, if Paul prayed it for the Thessalonians and that prayer is answered in their love for each other, if the gems have been praying this over the course of the past year, what does the answer to that prayer look like in their lives? What does increasing in love and overflowing in love look like? Because we're church people, and church people like to talk about loving each other. We like to sing about loving each other. And that often is sometimes reduced to just being kind of nice to each other. Do we smile at enough people at church today? Do we write a big enough check to the charity that we trust? Or the second collection? Those are actions of love. Be nice and give money. Is that what an answer to prayer looks like here? What does the answer to this prayer look like? Which makes me wonder that when Timothy went back to Paul, Paul sends Timothy, please go check on this congregation that I love. I'm worried about them. Report back to me about their faith and love. And Timothy goes, visits the congregation, visits First Church of Thessalonica, and he spends time with them. And he returns to Paul, and he says they're doing it. They're loving each other. They, they have a strong faith. And sure, there's areas where they need to know a bit more, but, but they're doing pretty well. Are you curious what kind of evidence Timothy brought with him? What made Timothy bring back such a glowing report? What was it about what he saw in Thessalonica that made him report back to Paul saying, yes, they're growing. They're growing in faith and they're growing in love. What does that look like? When, when my, husband and, my husband now, Brian, and I were engaged, so back when we were engaged, we talked a lot about what love looks like. We were about to commit our lives to each other, and we wondered, okay, so what are we getting into? Culture, pop, songs, romance novels tell you a lot about what love looks like. But for us in our marriage, what, what does it look like to love each other? Day in and day out, year in and year out. What, what does that look like? What, what do we draw on to make sense or to imagine what that love looks like? What, we, what it should look like, what it could look like. And I love in one of our conversations, Brian shared this story that has formed and shaped his, and I have his permission to share this, he's here this morning. I put it in my sermon before I knew he was gonna be here this morning. But now, then I asked permission to share. <clears throat> and make sure I got the details right. Brian shared this beautiful moment that he saw between his parents for what love, what love looks like. And he was in his early 20s, 
home from university for a brief bit, and he had convinced his parents to go with him to um, hear a lecture, uh, Stanley Hauerwas. And it was to get to the lecture, they had to leave home, pick up his dad, take him directly from work, and go to the lecture. And so Brian's sitting in the back. They, they go get um, Brian's dad. And his mom had been fussing in the kitchen for a little bit before getting in the car. And he saw her bring a brown bag. Wasn't sure what it was. And so they get in the car. They pull into the parking lot, pick up Brian's dad. And it's been a long day. <laughs> um, Henry, uh, Brian's dad, does accounting, which I imagine working with numbers is exhausting. <laughs> and so he had had a long day, came out. And Henry Bork is not one that likes road food. So he was getting ready to hop in the car and be hungry. He was not going home to his meat and potatoes. He was not going to get road food or could do it disgruntedly. And May, as he got in the car, May, Brian's mom, pulled out that brown bag. And in it was a mason jar of cold milk from home and a parchment paper wrapped of egg salad sandwich. Henry, Henry hadn't asked for this. He hadn't expected it. But May, knowing her husband, loving him, knowing his quirks, had packed a little bag for him, knowing that he'd be hungry, knowing that he'd be exhausted. And for Brian, I mean, this very ordinary everyday moment of a wife packing lunch for her husband became for him this crystallized moment of what it looks like for love to mean caring, kindness, attentiveness to the other person in, in small actions. And, and for him, it crystallized what love could and should look like on a day in and day out, year in and year out basis. Love can be a mason jar of cold milk and an egg salad sandwich. The caring for the other person. No fanfare, no huge gesture of love, just a simple faithful action of care for the other. And there's something really beautiful in that, I think. Something that characterizes so much more than just love in marriage, but love in our friendships, love in our families, love amongst brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, love in our churches with the world. That we can talk big things about love, we can sing big things about love, but when it comes down to it, it needs to be and it can be as simple as paying attention to the other person and offering a cold or a mason jar of cold milk and an egg salad sandwich when someone's hungry. Because you pay attention because you see them, because you know them. Tangible, visible. So maybe when we talk about love, we need to talk a bit more about offering someone some cold milk and an egg salad sandwich. Maybe talking more about the tangible actions we take instead of the way that we feel how particularly nice we are, or how we feel about feeling love for another person. Because loving people is messy and weird and hard. Because people are messy and weird and hard. Loving is not easy at all. So if we, we wait to love until we feel love all the time, we're never going to overflow. We're never going to overflow. So what does love look like? What does it look like? What does an answer to this prayer of Paul's look like? 
I wanted to dive just a little bit deeper in that this morning, and I thought I would go to the experts. I wanted those who have, have studied this for a long time, who've, who've really given themselves to it. And that's not a group of theologians, that's our gems, who have been working and living into this prayer for a year. And so they helped me out in this sermon, and they answered a couple of questions for me. And one of them was, okay, girls, how do we show God's love in our lives? How do you show God's love in your life? What does it look like in the day in and day out, year in and year out? What does it look like? What does love look like in your life? And you guys were wonderful. You gave me some wonderful, wonderful answers. And a lot of them focused on friendship and kindness. Being a good friend was one. Praying for others. Being kind to people even when they're mean to you. And parents will like this one. They're all anonymous. There's no names attached to these. So this could all be your child. Listening to my mom and dad when they ask me to do something and doing it right away. And, and then there were some that got a bit more specific. A bit more concrete, a bit more glass of cold milk and egg salad sandwich kind of answers. One was being very kind to grandma. I don't know what grandma's going through, but we need to be very kind to her. Being helpful to papa. And my favorite, rubbing my mommy's cracked and smelly feet when she's tired. <laughs> no names, no names. I love that one. Not only because we just came off Good Friday and Easter and it makes me think of Jesus washing his disciples' feet, which I'm sure there were a few cracked and smelly ones in the midst with the disciples. All of the answers that the gems gave, and those are just a few, those are just a snapshot of what they offered, the wisdom that the gems offered us, is they centered around community and family, kindness and care, helping and serving each other. Even when someone doesn't deserve it, even when they're mean to you, even when you don't necessarily feel like it. Love is action. In small ways, in real ways, in tangible ways, in concrete ways. Whether it involves making a sandwich or a smelly pair of feet. So my question is, what if Timothy were to come here? What if Timothy were to visit Community Christian Reformed Church instead of the First Church of Thessalonica? What if Timothy was sent to check in on our faith and our love? To look for tangible ways that he could report back to the Apostle Paul saying, yep, they're doing it. They are growing in faith and they are growing in love. What would Timothy see with us? What would he take back to Paul? What what evidence would he bring back of us increasing in love and overflowing with love? What would he say about us? What would our report be? If he visited the Gems Club, I think we would have a very glowing report. But for us as a bigger body, what would Timothy say about us? Have you been wondering about the pieces of paper that a lot of you received when you came in? These guys? Does, mo does that most everyone have one of these? Or both of these? Colorful slips of paper? Yes? We're gonna follow the GEMS example. 
And there is the blue slip. I show God's love in my life. And if you have that, pull that slip of paper out. And if you don't, if you have a slip of paper in your purse or a bag or near you or in grade four to sixers, if you have your binder with you, part of a bulletin that's not got print on it, pull that out. And you are going to give us your report. How do you show God's love in your life? How do you show God's love in your life? So the gems have helped us. They've modeled for us. They've given us a whole lot of wonderful answers. But this is one of the few times in a sermon when a minister is going to go quiet and you get some time to reflect on a question instead of me just continuing to speak at you. So if you have one of these, I'm going to go quiet for about a minute or so and you get a chance to do what the gems have done. How do you show God's love in your life? What are tangible, concrete ways that you would point Timothy to saying, see, I'm growing in love. I'm overflowing with love. What does it look like in your life? Okay, I'm gonna go quiet. Five second warning. <coughs> now that may have been uncomfortable for you. You're like, wait, what, I have to do something in a sermon? I could have made you all turn around and share with a neighbor. <laughs> so be thankful. So hold on to that for a second. We're going to come back to it. But pause there, hold that. Why does Paul pray this prayer? Why, why does he pray this particular prayer for this church that he loves? May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. I mentioned earlier that 1 Thessalonians is most likely the earliest letter that we have of Paul's in the New Testament, chronologically. And what I love is that even at this earliest, earliest point, the earliest letter that we have still shows Paul's great theme, his key teaching, 
that God's people love because God loves his people. The reason we love isn't because we're called to be nice. The reason that we love isn't because we're particularly nice people, and it comes naturally because it doesn't. The reason that we love isn't because it's easy to love other people, because that's also not true. And the reason that we love isn't even particularly because we desire to love everyone else, if we're truthful with ourselves. It's hard enough to love our families really well, then let alone everyone else. The reason we love, the reason that we can love, as the gems have already taught us, is that we are already loved by God in Jesus Christ. And that is a love so big that we can't help but let it spill out. In the letter to Romans, Paul describes it in this way. He says that God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This love is not ours to give. It's not of our power. It is a love that is poured into us by the sheer presence of having the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so we can hold it back. We can, we can, we can try not to love, but hopefully as you grow into being a Christian, as you grow in this, faith, this life of faith, this is something that you almost can't help but do. People around us, if we have God's love poured into us, just like that picture in the children's message, just overflowing, how can we not have that spill over into love for each other, into love for everyone else? But I think that there's a connection, because that's the reality, that's the truth of who we are in Jesus Christ, that God's love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's given to us. But I think our understanding of our ability to love, of that overflowing love, is connected to our understanding, whether small or big, of God's love for us. If you know you are loved, truly loved, it's like one of those moments when, when you're so excited about something, when you love soccer, you love soccer, and it, your team wins, and you can't help but smile. You're kind of riding high for the rest of the day, right? Or when you fall in love, and people are insufferable right after they've fallen in love. Right? They just smile all the time. There's really annoying sometimes because they just can't help it. It's just there. They have this incredible feeling. When we know we are loved, when we have that strong sense of God's love in our life, there should be kind of like falling in love or when our team scores. Like there should be something that we just can't help but have spill over into our neighbor, into our neighbor farther away, into the person sitting in the pew next to us, into our family member at the dinner table. It overflows. How do you know that you're loved? How do you know that God loves you? How do you experience God's love? Not just because a preacher gets up and tells you you're loved, but how do you experience that love? How do you experience God's love in your life? Again, I went back to our experts. This was the second question that the gems helped me out with. And again, there's more 
you guys shared wonderful answers, and there's more than I can share with you this morning. But as I, was, I had the privilege to read all of them, and as I read through them, what struck me as I read through them is, while the answers of how we show God's love, centered around family, community, kindness, they kind of centered around similar themes, the answers for this question of how you experience God's love were beautifully varied. They were the most diverse answers, each unique to each girl. So one girl writes that, I experience God's love in my life when mommy makes me yummy food and I eat it because it helps me remember that God provides for me too. I experience God's love in my life by seeing how the love and kindness that God gives me affects those around me. So it was by seeing the transformation that love can have in those around her that she saw God's love in her life. By going to church, pastor loves to hear that, by going to church and learning more about God and that we can talk to him even when we're sad. I experience God's love in my life by following the Ten Commandments. I experience God's love in my life when I help my mom and dad, someone who feels love when they help. I experience God's love when I read the Bible and I talk to God. I experience God's love in my life when I get hugs and kisses. I experience God's love in my life when my family reads the Bible together. And I experience God's love when I go to gems. So how do you experience God's love in your life? How do you experience God's love in your life? And again, I'm going to go quiet. And I'm going to ask you to do exactly what the gems did. Purple piece of paper. Putting things down, writing them, forces you to think a little bit deeper. So for you, you who are loved by God, how do you experience that love? The gems have modeled it for us, the gems have given us examples. For you, how do you experience God's love in your life? And I'm gonna challenge you that if you don't have a ready, if that comes hard, Maybe it's something you should think about, too. If your paper remains empty, that's something to think about and to pray about. How do you, as a child of God, experience God's love in your life? I'm going to go quiet and give you like a minute.
Five second warning. As I said before, we opened First Thessalonians. We are continuing a sermon series on what we started on Easter, that love overflows, joining it to the gems theme that we've expanded upon and delved into today. And we're going to continue talking about how God's love overflows in our life. And we're going to carry these two questions with us. How do I show God's love in my life? And how do I experience God's love in my life? So this comes with an invitation. <clears throat> a personal invitation and an action invitation. Continue to think about these two questions in your life. If Timothy were to come to you and to say, how are you growing in faith and love? What evidence would you give him? So how do you show God's love in your life? And also as we go into this sermon series, hearing story after story of God's always and forever love to us, how do you experience that love in your life? How do you experience that love in your life? So take these two questions, that's your personal. Action invitation is if you did write something down, I invite you on your way out, you can fold them, and there's gonna be baskets at the doors and place your answers in there because we'd also like to share, just as the gems did with us, we'd like to kind of share with each other our answers to be able to, to, to laugh and be inspired and to be challenged by each other in how we experience God's love, how we show God's love. So if you have slips of paper, return them on your way out to baskets held by our gems. And if you wrote it in a bulletin or a scrap piece of paper, throw that in there too. We'll all get to the same place, okay? As we close for now here with 1 Thessalonians 3.12, and we look ahead to a sermon series on how God's love overflows in our life. May Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians, may the gems' prayer for themselves or the poorest of the past year become our prayer together. Lord, increase our love and make it overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as yours does for us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our God of love and life, we thank you that out of your love you sent your Son so that those who believe in him may not perish but have everlasting life. Not just life in some future, but life now and here. A life overflowing with your love. A life overflowing with love to others, to everyone else. Thank you that you love us with a fierce and endless love. May we experience your love more and more in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.